So you're not going to have your puppy on your lap or in the room the whole time here? No, I'm not going to. I mean, to. I don't mind if Reggie's biting your face while I'm talking. It's not, it won't distract me that much. Yeah, but it would be very distracting for me. His cone would probably just scratch my face. Oh, he's still got the cone He on. still has his cone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could do a podcast where he's on my lap biting my face while I'm trying to do the podcast and see how it goes. It would probably be so much better than if he were on my lap. <laughs> All right, let's knock this out. I got to go hang out with my teenagers. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, where we engage with culture and equip the local church in faith and ministry. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, one of the communications staff here at High Point Church. This past Sunday, January 10th, Pastor Nick Gibson preached on Vices of Division. If you haven't listened to it yet, we recommend going back and listening to it on our sermons podcast, Search for High Point Church Sermons, or on our website at highpointchurch.org slash sermons. At the start of that sermon, Nick mentioned that he had cut about 95% of his sermons, so today he's joined by Nicole Kyle, our Music and Worship Arts Director, to cover the rest of that content. As always, if you have any more questions listening to this episode, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. This is Nicole Kyle and Nick Gibson. I'm Nicole. That's Nick. You can't I'm Nick Gibson. Us. Yeah. And uh, we both work the at deep, High Point. The deep baritone, you can tell. Yeah. And um, so we're doing a cutting room floor episode this past Sunday, which was January 10th. Uh, Nick preached a sermon about the vices of division, and there's just a lot in there and a lot of stuff that um, that you didn't get to. You had to leave some stuff on the cutting room floor, but it's worthwhile and we wanted yeah. to come back to it and get to talk more about it. And so that's yeah. what we're doing. Some of it you got to at least mention in the sermon. There might be some yeah. stuff that you didn't even get to touch on at all. But um, this is this is a really important thing for us as Christians to talk through. And it's easy for me to say, especially right now, but I just think that's probably also a little bit naive of me that like, this is always what the, what yeah. Christian life I think, requires. I think for. especially right now in like the last 30 years in America. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean the history of the world. Yeah. That's probably a little alarmist, but I mean, in the last 30 years in our experience in America, I think it is, it is yeah. heightened right now. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to give just the, a couple of your main, main points, and then we're going to zoom in on some of them, but your main. Before you do that, I want to just clarify something about this sermon. I I think if we don't get this one right, the other ones won't matter. Yeah. You, I don't think you can do the constructive part of building unity. If you don't face the destructive ends, it's kind of like, you know, trying to have a good marriage when you're doing some really negative things over and over and over again out of like mm-hmm. some kind of dysfunction. Like you do, you try to do these good things, but ul- ultimately the destructive destruction is so much easier than building that the destruction is just catching up with you faster than you can build. Yeah. And um, it's like, you keep building a wall and there's enemies just keeps breaking through walls faster than you're building them. At some point it just gets to you and destroys you. Mm-hmm. And if we don't deal with these, that this negative thing, if we don't deal with the, um, with these vices of division. Yeah. We can do everything we want to positively to create unity and it won't work. Right. And that's true on the on the most basic level with like close friends, family members, and on the largest level of like world peace. Yeah. It was funny. A friend of mine on um on Facebook today, she just posted um it's it was like almost exactly your sermon introduction. She just used a different illustration. She was like, every night my daughter, like or over the course of three minutes, she turns her room into a terrible disaster and it takes us 30 minutes to 
put everything back together where it's supposed mm-hmm. to go. And she said, it is so much easier to destroy things than it is to build things. And I was like, wow, were you <laughs> like, you just yeah. writing the same sermon or listening to the same yeah. thing. But it, I mean, she was making the same point, but specifically about just how our words can cut people. I mean, it was, it was about mm-hmm. unity and fighting for that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. it's, and I think that that illustration goes deeper in this sense that what you want to teach a kid to keep the room clean is to keep putting things away. Yeah. So like there's part of this process of disordering and reordering and like manners and customs and what people call in the political sphere norms, mm-hmm. right? Like Pete, you heard a lot about like Donald Trump undermining president Trump, undermining democratic norms. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, you only talk about norms when the other group is in power. Sure. Which is true. People use that really self-servingly. But when you learn more about human beings, customs, manners, and norms are the main things that keep us from ripping each other's throats out. Yeah. Right? It's the pavement we drive on as a civilization. And when people tear it apart, it's a really terrible thing. And so like teaching kids to like put their clothes away, take out one piece of clothing, put that one piece of clothing back so that the chaos doesn't get away from you. Exactly. There's this constant functional upkeep of that that comes from and, and that's one of the reasons why like teaching kids to have manners. Right. Like my kids still call Alexi ma'am. We got that from the South yeah. and they call me sir. Mm-hmm. Right. And some people think that's formal. I don't care what they think. Yep. These are part of the customs that keep us civilized together totally. and help us to show respect and dignity. And, and um, that's why like when my, my, when Jude says something to me, I don't call him buddy. Usually I almost always call him son mm-hmm. and I'll like almost artificially refer to my kids as daughter. Yeah. That's part of like holding these things together anyway. So right. I, I th- yeah, I think there's a lot. No, but I, I mean, totally. Cause it, those things require discipline built over time for the, like the ultimate flourishing of whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to experience in our Christian community. One of my seminary professors um, said, I, I think he went to a church I was part of and he's, and after he'd been there for a while, he said, he said, I noticed that you don't call each other brother and sister. Huh? And he was from a church tradition where, like, if you talk to like Andy at church, it was he was brother Andy. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say brother, brother Andy, brother, brother, and then like the women were all sisters, sister right. Nicole. And I was like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't do that. That's kind of weird. And he's like, well, but you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, like, that is your fundamental identity. That is what you are more than anything else. And like, when you call each other that every single time, like, it does something to custom yeah. and manner and your and affection and stuff. And when you don't. It's easily lost that that's the primary thing you are with each other is that you're brothers right. and sisters to each other. Yeah. And like, I don't, I haven't changed all of the churches I've been a part of to do that, but right. there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. There's a reason why people have those customs that people think are like hokey and dumb and whatever. Right. There's but they're actually yeah. rich and meaningful and. Yeah, for sure. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. So getting into your sermon and um, the, I'm going to, again, just. A very brief outline. So you said in order to pursue unity, we have to kill the vices of division in ourselves. So one, God is clear about the vices of division. And two, we have to kill these vices in ourselves. So um, I'm sure you're going to hop in with the particular things that you want to talk about. I've got some stuff that I want to be able to hear more from you about. Starting in this first point that God is clear about the vices. One of the things that you talked about is that we need to be, we need to understand that when there are God, ungodly influencers in our lives 
and then how to reject those ungodly examples and ungodly influencers. And there's just a lot more in that section that you didn't get to cover that I'd love to hear more about. Yeah. I try to talk about the ways in which you can see this in scripture that one is like Mm -hmm. seeing unity and maturity talked about together. One is to look at all the virtues of unity and then just reverse them or, or think about the absence of them. And then another is like looking at the device at the vices themselves that are talked about all through scripture, right? If you have eyes to see them. But then the last, I was like, you know, there are situations where, um, the apostles talk about false teachers and ungodly influencers and what they're like and how they behave and what they do. Mm-hmm. And that you need to be able to, to be a mature Christian, you have to be able to identify these people and not be moved by them, <coughs> not be influenced by them. And in fact, reject their influence and try to rescue other people from their influence. Yeah. So um, in the, in the new Testament, some of the things that you look for are um, they're not that concerned about creating division. Right. Right. Um, there is evidence of strong ulterior motives. There's dishonest gain or notoriety or getting a following or power. They are they are teaching a false doctrine. So they're they're teaching some. Usually, it seems like an innovation, but it's actually a false doctrine. Um, they oftentimes they're self really self assured, yet actually ignorant. This is true of a lot of pundits in the in the chattering classes of America right now. They mm-hmm. sound educated. They sound like they're learned they sound like they're and they they speak in a very self-assured way yeah but they're really actually very profoundly ignorant about the issues they're talking about sure and because they're slightly less ignorant than us sometimes it seems like it works for us but if we basically understand if we understand that um very confident like simple views of who's good and who's bad who's right and who's wrong that that's almost always simplistic and wrong yeah and ignorant and ultimately self-serving because basically they're saying those people are the bad guys. I'm a good guy. Be with me, the good guy. Mm-hmm. If you just can sniff that that smells wrong, mm-hmm. you'll take what they say with a grain of salt. You know? Yeah. Um, they they actually most of these people actually seem to like controversy, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because it's an opportunity for them, right? The Apostle Paul says to stay away from people with an unhealthy unhealthy interest in controversies, right? Right. Um, but but listen, friction is red meat for people like this, right? Um. They don't think of it as something that distracts from the good. They think of it as an opportunity mm-hmm. to create a unity around themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and also, I talked about this a little bit in the sermon, is, but that when they are accessing you, when they're doing something to draw you in, yeah. they're accessing the flesh rather right. than the spirit. Right. And you can kind of feel that because there's a feverishness to it. There's a des- You have a desire for it. You have a mm-hmm. what the New Testament calls an epithumia, a passion that's like, like a heightened passion, a passion that's like, kind of like out of control. Yeah. Like, because we really crave for people to say, you know, you've been right all along, or, you know, you're the good person, or, you know, mm-hmm. you're good and those people are bad, or, you know, you're smart and those other people are dumb. And what you really want, what's good, and those other people just don't have the guts to work for what's good. Like, there's all kinds of versions of that. And you get that off of, you know, cable news or YouTube channels or influencers, right. all these kinds of things. And um, when, if, if as a Christian, you learn to realize, when somebody is tapping into the spirit, what the spirit wants to say, if there's like a peace, usually it's an expansive feeling that you're like, no, I'm not the only person who's important here. Yeah. Right. Um, it moves you away from self-centeredness. It expands your world. You feel kind of small or ignorant and you're like, oh, like, yeah, I've been focusing on myself. Right. Um, when you feel gratified, usually that person's accessing the flesh, either your fears or your pride. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're either they're either drawing out your conceit or they're or they're or they're like like 
getting you to respond out of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to see that. There was something. Um, so you shared this with the staff team, a pastor that you used to work with, Mike Woodruff, who has a weekly newsletter that he sends out and you shared it. So I started getting his newsletter. It's yeah, very, great. it's very helpful. Yeah. And Mike uh, Woodruff's Friday newsletter. Yeah. Oh yeah. So good. I've shared it with other people since then. Um, but something yeah. that he said in it this past Friday, um, he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher exactly how he said it. But the idea was, he said that, you know, having your p- political community be your community isn't great. But right now, so many yeah. people are longing have for no sense, community. Have, exactly. Yeah. Have no right. community. And a political community is better than no community. No community. Right. And yeah. I thought of, I mean, that was such an helpful, insightful thing right. to recognize. And I was thinking about that during your sermon as well in a couple of places. One, when you were talking about our core needs, how, you know, we had this deep core desire to attach and belong somewhere. And if we look and you were going through each of those core needs, and you're saying, I mean, if we go anywhere else, we're, if we're not looking to Christ for any of these things, we're going to find it somewhere else. And that other place will lead to death if we're looking for it in this other place. Yeah. And, um, I, what I was thinking about with that, and also this idea that, that you touched on just now that like, if we, if what we're doing when we're following this influencer, is it like, is this really gratifying feeling that we're getting like self-affirming feeling? I think some of that comes back to that. Like, it's because we want to have, feel like we belong somewhere. We want to feel like there's a place where we go, where we're affirmed, but when we're, but it's dangerous when we find that outside of Christ, and um, so that that is has been an alarm signal for me lately. Like, okay, if I'm listening to someone trying to learn about like their their commentary on something that's happening right now, and it and I just keep saying, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right, and I get a little like fired up from it. Mm-hmm. That's like a it's becoming a red flag to me of like, oh, yeah, maybe that's I'm not good. That's not good. Yeah. I need to go listen to someone else. I need to be challenged. I need to find someone who's going to tell me where I'm wrong because surely I'm wrong at least somewhere in how I'm thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, these are really complex issues. And so, yeah, all of these things were just. Right. And the more you, so one of the, one of the really scary things about so, um, like Ben Sass talked about this in his last book about how the statistics of loneliness in America are, are like through the roof. Yeah. And so, as people have fewer and fewer fishing buddies and and bocce buddies and like whatever buddies, yeah, um, they turn to these other communities. Some of them are political communities, but commu- p- political community as your core community is very destructive to the human person because one, you have to give nearly unquestionable um, allegiance to our dear leader which is not a good right. thing for Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, the more you get riled up in the fieriness of that and you let your flesh let you get riled up, it makes you an increasingly intemperate person. It is it is a deformative process. Mm-hmm. So instead of going through the spiritual form- formation of becoming more like Christ in the spirit, which makes you more temperate, you're actually becoming more unlike Christ and the spirit by feeding the flesh. Yeah. And becoming more intemperate. And that makes you less capable of making good decisions. It makes you less free. Mm-hmm. And it makes you more in need of people to tyrannize you. Like like Edmund Burke said, intemperate men cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, it's so crazy because it's just like the 
the more that we're talking about this in, in the sermon and right now, it's just like, oh, this is, this is such an easy, easy way for us to get wrapped up in, in the world. Because if we look at, there's, yeah. there was a sermon that you preached a long time ago and I was in a rough place emotionally. And you were like, man, all we want is we want Jesus to come stand next to us and be like, I affirm you. I'm here to defend you and affirm you. And you're like, he doesn't do that. And yeah. I was like, not like that. Yeah. Right. Not like that. And, yeah. and I, I mean, there are like reading through the Proverbs. It's like a wise man is, is the one who asks for rebuke and asks for correction and welcomes these things. But we're in a culture that no one wants that. We want people to tell us you're right. You are right to feel that way. That is an authentic yeah. feeling. And it, it feels right. And it, that's so crazy in a world that's getting like exponentially more complicated. The idea that we're more and more yeah. right in a world that's getting more and more confusing is probably not true. Mm-hmm. One, one of my concerns here, Nicole, is that people think that we're just like talking philosophy or whatever. I, I, I want to read a couple of Bible passages yeah, great. to try to connect people with the biblical nature of this, right? So First Timothy, so this comes up a lot in the pastoral epistles. So in First Timothy 6, verses 3 to 5, the apostle says this, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. That that is a mo- the motivation you should expect yeah. to be there. He's conceited and he understands nothing. He and and here's what here's what he'll be like. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a mean of fi- means of financial gain. One of the things that I, I've noticed about people is that there's some people who try to clarify what they're talking about so that we can have a real conversation, right? Um, and one of the podcasts I, I, I talked about, I talked about like um, uh, Robert George and um, Cornell West talking to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, you can disagree with Cornell West, but you know exactly what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He defines his terms. He's like, this is what I'm saying. This is what I mean. This is what I advocate. And then Robert George can argue against him and say, well, this is why I think that's wrong. Um, other people you talk to and the meanings of their words is slippery. They're using the same word to mean different things. And they're like, oh, I agree with that, but I don't agree with it. And like they they quarrel about words. Hmm. They like they're moving the meanings around and they're like, they're they they they're not getting at the main point of the thing, but they're like nitpicking with things, and they like that. They they find controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, and malicious talk and evil suspicions. That's an opportunity for them mm-hmm. because it breaks off a group of people from the body of Christ to follow them. Sure. So for right. them, it's a gain, right? Even though they are harming the body of Christ and they are themselves growing in conceit and yeah. ignorance. Right? Yeah. Uh, another example of this is 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 8. So mm-hmm. it's, this is what the apostle says. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So notice these people he's just described this way are self-identified religious people Yeah, that self-identify with the religion of the Bible mm-hmm. because they have a form of godliness, right. but in the way they live, they deny its power. Right. And they are all these bad things. Right. And yeah. then listen to what he says. Um, 
have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. So you could, you can attack him for saying like weak-willed women, but what he's saying is like, you can see this with like charismatic teacher types that are going to be men in, in the, this part of the world, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be men. They're exciting. They, they are, they are like depraved and wicked, but they have a form of godliness. They're attractive. And so these kind of like unstable, unsure of themselves, like women who are like, there's always a sexual energy there. You can see between like a charismatic leader and some of these women. And like they, one of the things Paul is arguing is these terrible leaders and the people who follow them deserve each other Hmm. because as followers, we've allowed ourselves to become so corrupted Hmm. by what we like and what we respond to based on the vices that are in us because of who we are as fleshly people that we end up receiving these people that are disgusting in their character because we kind of deserve them. Right. He goes on and says, um, he says, just as Jonas and John Bray's opposed Moses, Jonas and John Bray's is the traditional rabbinical names for the two magicians in Egypt that okay. opposed Moses. Yeah. Okay. So as Jonas and John Bray's opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of mm-hmm. depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, is rejected, are rejected. Right. So you, you see this as you have these men of depraved minds who are these leaders, but then you have these people in the last days who are themselves lovers of money, boastful, proud, conceited, disobedient, so on. And the more we are worldly and, and um, deceived and like, like full of these vices, the more we are attracted to people like us mm-hmm. who display these vices. Yeah. And so killing these vices in ourselves and growing a godliness ourselves will help us to not deserve the leaders that we get and like help yeah. us to understand who we should follow, who we should. Yeah. Right. You, you can see this also. Let me give you just one more example. In mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 12, 19 to 20, the apostle Paul is talking about why the Corinthian church should accept him as apostle, an apostle rather than these some, like, some of these other people who are like sexier, better talkers, cooler people, right? And Paul's yeah. not those things. And he says, um, <clears throat> have you been thinking all along that we, that is Paul and Timothy and people in his group have been defending ourselves to you? Like trying to get you to think we're apostles, he's saying? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. That is, he's saying, I'm trying to help you, not myself. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you think I'm an apostle. I'm trying to help you see that I'm an apostle for your own good. Right. Right, is what he's saying. He's saying, he says, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Right, he's saying, see what he's saying? You don't have to, I don't care what you think about me. I just don't want you to be deceived. He says, for I am afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as you, I want you to be. And you may not find yourselves as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Right? He says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they indulged. So there's two things you can see there. One is he's tying together personal sin and debauchery with divisive and divisional vices that immaturity and division go together and maturity and unity go together. Right. But also he's saying, look, he's saying, what's going to happen is if you don't see that I'm an apostle, because you can't tell what a godly leader is, that's going to hurt you. Yeah. I'm going to come to you and you're going to be in a terrible spiritual state. And I don't want that for you. And so he basically tells them, the reason why you should follow me is not because I'm like the apostle Paul or I've written all these letters or I've had right. even these visions. He's like, I was caught up into the freaking third heaven. Yeah. 
but I don't think you should follow me because of that. He said, here's what I'll boast about, that I have been shipwrecked and beaten for the gospel and thrown in prison for the gospel and suffered for the gospel and been stoned twice for the gospel and so on. Yeah. Right. It's like it, his humiliations and his suffering and his sacrifice and his service of the gospel to the pouring out of his life in his own blood. That's why they should follow. Mm-hmm. Because if you're godly and you care about what matters, you look at a man like that and you're like, you're inspired. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you are a vice filled fleshly person, you look at a good talker who's handsome and he's wearing something that looks good and you're impressed. Yeah. And so that's why our character as individual people matters so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so I want to ask a question about um, some application of this. This is a very narrow way to think about it, but I also think is relevant right now. So something, so in all of this, like we, we have to discern and to be able to recognize when we see these sorts of teachers Mm-hmm. And to say, okay, that is not who I need to follow and be influenced by. Help us understand, help me understand how to manage that tension with a culture that's filled with cancel culture. Like when, as soon as you disagree with someone, you just cancel them and you're like, well, just, I'm, I'm just, you're out of my life. Cause there are, and and I think this is an example of things that you've talked about a lot that like, I mean, every issue is complicated and oftentimes there are instances when a particular response is appropriate and then other instances where it's not. Um, so, yeah. but it's just something that came up to, uh, that I was thinking in this part of your, um, in this part of your sermon. I'm not sure I'm totally on to your question. Um, I think just that, I mean, so, so, Okay, culture. so let me try to answer it, and then you tell me if I'm right, because okay. I think I might understand it. Okay. Um, one is I think that Christians should offer different influencers different amounts of trust. So in that sense, you don't just totally cancel somebody that you think has a wrong view. Mm-hmm. But you you log these things. Like, you're looking for things in people's character that are not trustworthy. You're discerning about it. And so when you see somebody that's, like, not totally trustworthy, you, like, you, you know, you figure that in when you listen to them. Right. Really consciously, Right. I also am not, I'm not really for cancel culture. I don't think that my, my goal is like, I might tell you, Nicole, I don't think you should listen to John, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go out and try to destroy John. Mm-hmm. Right. I might speak against him. I might, I might call people away from his teaching, but I'm not going to try to knock his legs out from under him. Yeah. And I think that, I think that cancel culture is extremely malicious. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, I think it's really dangerous to, um, in, or in a world where these technological platforms and things like that are a a very large means of how people engage in speech and influence Mm -hmm. when we don't really have rights to them, Mm -hmm. you know, like Twitter can just, I mean, this just happened. Like Twitter's just like Donald Trump's done and all, and a bunch of people associated him. They're just, they, they don't get to talk anymore. Right. And on one level, it's a private company and they can do that on another level they have the privilege of fun- functioning in a space that functions kind of as a monopoly right. in which these are, there's only three or four ways in which people exchange these ideas. You've got Facebook, yeah. you've got Twitter. Right. And um, if you just like take like the leader, the president of the country and you're like, you're out. Yep. Um, it, that's a little, it's a little chilling. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I so, think- I, so I, I generally don't think somebody who can turn around and shut me up the next second is generally not somebody I want shutting people up. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I think that's a that's help. Th- that does answer the question, and I think that Christ- Christianity has guidance. always competed as a minority voice among thousands of other voices. Mm-hmm. The word of God is is powerful and active, sharper than a double edged sword. It, like it can handle it, right? Um, but when persecution violently shuts down the voices of Christians historically, the gospel has not gone forward very well. Yeah. Well, sometimes it, yeah. it does. Sometimes it does in the blood of the martyrs, but. But persecution is also fairly successful in destroying churches and Christian and people mm-hmm. who profess belief. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, so m- my answer is I'm not I'm not here to to cancel anyone, and I think our levels of trust with people should be right. graded right. based on how trustworthy they are behaving. Yeah, that's very helpful. I, I think that too. I mean, it, another thing that is a helpful distinction for me in this is that. Um, one thing that I, th- one of the things that I think is wrong with cancel culture is that it does not leave any space for change and for transformation of a person. Mm-hmm. And I think, I just think that that is in opposition to the Christian faith. <laughs> and so I yeah. think that's a danger of succumbing to that. Um, but I think that what is one of the nuances that, which is different in this is that in, when we're talking about like interactions with people with whom we don't have actual relationships versus people with whom we have real relationships. I mean, that's just such a, that's another complexity on these sorts of dynamics when we're living in a tech, like in a digital world. And so, I mean, if you're in a real genuine relationship with somebody and they wrong you, I mean, there's a, a need to have a reconciliation with that person. And if they are unrepentant, then there's one sort of action. And if they are repentant, there's another action. And it's Mm -hmm. hard to have those sorts of relationships digitally. And it's impossible to do it if you just cancel them. So there's just a lot of nuance to it. Yeah. My daughters were talking about this today about how like some young woman that they listen to her stuff on YouTube is just like off YouTube now because like some people went and found a video she did like five years ago Hmm. and they like argued it was racist. Oh, sure. And yeah. Like she, and she's like a very sensitive, caring person. And so she's just like, I can't, I can't keep doing this with this kind of, if I'm hurting people and rather than like, screw you, like you're bullies, you know, yeah. I, I generally think that cancel culture for the most part should be entirely resisted mm-hmm. because I think that the canceling is much more clearly self-important bullying than the thing being canceled is of widespread malignancy. I think mm-hmm. that the I think the canceling is more malignant than the things being canceled for the most part. Yeah. And I know that some people might not think that. And I guess it does depend to a certain extent on what's yeah, being canceled. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I just I don't trust the people making these judgments. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm I just am entirely in resistance to the whole notion. Mm-hmm. Um okay. So let's go to let's move on in your sermon we talked a bit about how we have to be able to recognize, well, how God has made these vices clear and we need to learn to recognize them. And then you talked about how now we have to, we have to kill these vices in ourselves. Um, and so you talked a bit, this was really, this language was really helpful for me. You said acknowledging God's teaching is not the same as recognizing it. And you went through 
and, and talked about like, you know, we, we acknowledge vices like mocking and gossip and pride. We acknowledge those things in principle, but we don't recognize them in them in ourselves. We just call them these other things that are more sophisticated and then we don't have to feel bad about ourselves. Um, yeah, I think I called them evasive euphemisms. Yeah. So I thought that would be another area that'd be helpful for you to talk more about specifically those euphemisms, how we call them something else instead. Yeah. So, okay. So before I share these, Mm -hmm. I I, I think it's important that these euphemisms are sometimes true. Yeah. And that's why they work. Mm -hmm. If they were never true, they wouldn't work. Right. Right. So let me give you an example. So for example, sometimes people will call being quarrelsome, being assertive or being a truth teller. Right. So you can see how like, sometimes like you do have to stand up and tell the truth and people will think you're being quarrelsome, but you are telling the truth. And you're being a truth teller. You're not really being quarrelsome, yeah. right? But at the same time, in the flesh, our sinful nature drives us to justify ourselves and to come up with excuses for why our behavior is good and our heart is right, mm-hmm. rather than to see what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And because the the depravity kind of pre-programs us to play those psychological games, when we're really being quarrelsome, we will call it assertiveness and truth telling yeah. and things yeah. like that, right? Um, for mocking, I said satire and sarcasm. Yeah, but there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, I'm just I'm being sarcastic. They're they're like derisively sarcastic and they're really mocking. Yeah, and the thing they're being sarcastic about is actually something that has profound sacred value. Yeah, and so when you when you sarcastically humiliate something that has profound value, even if you think it's a clever satire, what you're actually doing is the blasphemy of mocking. Mm-hmm. And mocking is a very terrible thing because it's humiliating the good. Yeah. And um, it's it's a terrible, terrible thing. But if we just say, "Well, it's just satire," I'm just, I'm just, it's just sarcasm. What's the big deal? Well, it's, but it's not. It's mocking. And it's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. It's destroying the fabric of human relations and human and un- human the human connection to what's meaningful. Yeah. Which is a damnable thing. So, go- for gossip, I said awareness or sharing. Right, like people, but remember, gossip isn't just talking about people. Gossip is speaking with a lack of discretion. Mm-hmm. Just like immodesty isn't like showing your lady parts, it is seeking recognition and status apart from the reasons we should actually give recognition and status, which is godliness. Right. So talking too much in a conversation can be just as immodest as like showing cleavage. Right. Like functionally speaking. Similarly, in gossip can be just as much just speaking without discretion, just saying stuff that doesn't need to be said. That's perfectly true. Even in the presence of people who are, who like you're talking about who are right there. Mm-hmm. It's not always talking about people behind their backs. Yeah. That's a kind of gossip, but gossip is speaking without discretion. Mm-hmm. And it's a really ugly thing. And there's a proverb that says um, like a gold ring in the snout of a pig is a beautiful woman without discretion. Mm-hmm. Right. And you could widen that concept, obviously. Like, no matter how much natural beauty or otherwise beauty is in your life, if you behave and speak and act without discretion in a gossipy manner, mm-hmm. it destroys all of the beauty. It's like you know a gold ring in the snout of a pig. Right, right. The pig and the in the slop and the just ruins manure it just overwhelms yeah. everything. You yeah. Know? And I've seen that. I, I remember even in my dating life meeting very gorgeous women who were not women of discretion mm-hmm. and they just said mean things and were just like, they talked about people and they, and I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. 
That whole thing is gross. So anyway, so so gossip is a wider category like modesty than we normally think. And right. We often say it's well, I'm just sharing, it's just awareness, or I'm just uh, you know, I'm really I'm I'm looking out for the person, right? Yeah. And please pray for them. Yeah. We yeah, use that as a yeah, we, we often pass um pride off as confidence. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of different things. Um brutality, we often talk about us being strong and not being a victim. Um, there's a, there, there was a lot of controversy around President Trump about this, about whether or not um, he was punching back or punching down when he would sure. fight people who would attack sure. him. Right. And I, you know, I think a lot of times he was doing both. I mean, like, I mean, he was punching back against a media that hated his guts and the Democrats who hated his guts and the universities that hated his guts and yeah. Hollywood that hated his guts and Silicon Valley that hated his guts. And I mean, like, there was, there were a lot of people throwing punches, you know. Yeah. And it when you're getting fought by ten or fifteen people, throwing a few wild punches is not weird, right? Um, because you got you got to punch a lot of things. But at the same time, there were times where you're just kind of like you're just punching down, man. That's that's just that's just brutality, right? You know, it's not it's not strength, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's really if you're in a position where you have to stand and defend people mm-hmm. and defend yourself, you it, it's a difficult position to speak good words of strength to not allow yourself to be a victim right. and yet to not be brutal. And whatever faults people think like somebody like Martin Luther King had, he did that pretty well. Yeah. You know, I listened to a couple of his sermons today, um, pre- you know, preparing for MLK Sunday. And, you know, he just, you know, he's just very reserved. I mean, he, he, talking even with about a, with so, a certain amount of love of people who threaten to kill him. Yeah. And that's just a rare thing yeah. among people who are public and have to be strong. And so, that's the thing that requires strength. Yeah. Being, being able to have that temperance rather than responding in brutality. Yeah. And a lot of the people who behave brutally are also strong. Mm-hmm. But um, in order to create unity in the end, you have to be even stronger. Yeah. You know? So um, under for rivalry and partisanship, I said being woke or educated, because a lot of the times when people are like very partisan mm-hmm. um, or have a lot of rivalry with another group of people, they think of it they think of it as a, a kind of intellectual superiority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you're woke, what that means is everybody else is asleep, mm-hmm. which is a very self congratulatory and arrogant thing to think. Now it, it may be in some cases that you're right about it. I mean, it is possible. That is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's less likely if you're young, thinking about people who are older than you. Um, but I, yeah, there's really so much I want to say about that right now. Right. Yeah. But um, but uh, there's a lot of rivalry and partisanship that's passed off as superior education or wokeness. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then conceit. You know, people just they act like they're competent or sometimes also wokeness and education can be a form can be really an expression of conceit yeah. that I would just, I would just really think I'm better than you. Right. Right. And because of that, you don't matter what well, you say doesn't really matter. And I should be the one in charge. And so I'm just, I'm just leading. I'm just guard. I'm, I'm your guardian, right? I'm helping you or I'm the one who's competent here when, when really it's just, I'm the most conceited person here. Mm-hmm. I think I'm better. Yeah. And so as long as we hide behind these evasive euphemisms, as long as we can call our divisive, visive, our divisive vices, um, virtues, right. right. And convince ourselves we're doing the right thing. We can't ever put them to death because we've, we, yeah, we can acknowledge that quarrelsome mocking gossip, pride, brutality, conceit, rivalry are all bad, 
But until we recognize we are doing them yeah. and we just did it just then, we can't. We can't grow spiritually. We can't repent of our sins. We can't ch- be changed. Mm-hmm. We can't confess mm-hmm. and receive forgiveness. Yeah. So um, more more negative self-doubt is often needed. Right. And more clarity in studying these things. Like, like really study in the Bible what quarrelsomeness is. Really study what the Bible says about being a mocker and what that means. Like more deeply so that when you see it and when you do it, it presents itself in your mind better. Yeah. Most people have such a cursory understanding of these things. Their, their view, their understanding is so shallow that um, the barb of the hook of the self-condemnation of knowing you did something wrong just can't catch. Yeah. The hook never sets. Right. And so you just, you keep getting on, getting yourself off. Yeah. At, after this point, when you were preaching, you were like, if I just stop there, that's super discouraging. And even again, in just talking through this right now, I just, I, I was thinking to myself, man, but, I mean, this is so, this is why the path to following Christ is a narrow path and it requires a lot of exertion and a, an effort. I mean, it's not. And few just, choose it. You're right. And it, and it um, but like because of that we have to have this deeper understanding of the gospel which is what you preached more of after that because if we think it is only gonna if we think it is reliant on us to do this i mean it's impossible we have to understand that it is the power of the spirit in us allowing us and enabling us to do these things in uniting ourselves in the death of christ like i mean that all of that is is hard but but at the same time there's there's still great news here because like if you were if you were locked in a cell with a big pile of manure in the corner. And I said, listen, and it's like pig manure. It's like really nasty. Yeah. And I say, Nicole, you, I get a note to you and it says, Nicole, the key to your cell is at the bottom of the pile of pig manure. Yeah. That's bad news. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's good news. Exactly. And like uh, recognizing your sin is like that. Like being able to see the disgusting nature of your own heart and behavior. It's, it's disgusting. Uh-huh. But the key to your freedom is at the bottom. It's of right it. there. Yeah. Yeah, because because getting free of your sin is your freedom. Right. It right. is your future. It right. is your hope. It is your nature. It is your destiny. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it hurts and it's humiliating. And it's 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 no fun and it's dirty, but it is it is the future. It's, it's your freedom. It's the, your blessing. It's right. your identity. Right. It's your it's your new name. Right. So, you got to have the right perspective, I guess. Yeah. Um, are there any other parts in the uh, last point that you wanted to talk more about, which is that the vices of division will only die at the death of Christ? Yeah, I, I wasn't really, ha- I wish I could like make this clearer somehow. I just don't, I just, there's, there's this concept in psychology of core needs, which is like, you can't, they're, they're um, indefatigable and they're ineradicable, right? So you can't you can't tire them out, and you can't get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, human persons will always function in accordance with the fulfillment of these needs. Okay, mm-hmm. and these can't be adjusted; they can't be changed. They, they just are what they are, right? And they are um, the the thing. The four things are attachment: who do I belong to, and who belongs to me? Orientation and control: where am I? like orienting yourself in the world and then being able to accomplish effectively what you're trying to accomplish the avoidance of pleasure and pain of pain and the grasping of pleasure also like what's good being able to do the good and being able to avoid the evil right and then lastly is belief that you're worthwhile and that you're becoming something worthwhile Mm -hmm. right 
everybody has those to to one extent or another um and they're rooted in things in some ways you could argue even deeper like a like a need for security mm-hmm. right attachment in some ways is a need for security mm-hmm. right and so that's why fear and pride are so primal because they're they're connected to this need for security what are you afraid of i'm afraid i'm not going to be secure i'm afraid i'm not going to have what i need right. right so um so as christians one of the things we need to recognize is is that if you believe the gospel in a way that doesn't touch these then you'll believe the gospel in a way that doesn't really get to the core of who you are. And what happens is because you need these four things to be solved, they be, it, there's this vacuum that's sucking in idols <laughs> because instead of the spirit working in these areas, bringing in the truth of God and working that all out, instead of what's happening is your flesh is sucking in idols to be a salvation for you in the realm of attachment and orientation and control, pain and pleasure and <laughs> um, worthwhileness. And so what happens is, is you can have like a form of godliness, yeah. but because like, these core places in the human heart and soul aren't rearranged with the gospel. You will, you will definitely have idols there. Right. It will be the flesh that's thriving and it will be accessing and utilizing idols to get your temporal salvation. Mm-hmm. And so I, so that's why I said in Luke nine, when Jesus says you have to take up your cross and follow me, right? That is, you have to, you have to take up your cross and die every single day. Why is that? Because the gospel has to go to the very place where you live and die. If you if your core needs are being met, you feel like you're dying, and if they really are being met, you feel alive. Yeah, and like, and every day the gospel has to get there. Yeah, and if if Jesus is ruling in these places of our deepest core needs, our, then our identity will really be reshaped to be in His identity. We'll really right. see ourselves as His right. sons and daughters. We'll really see, we'll really feel His joy flowing through us. We'll really feel like we belong to Him and He belongs to us. Right, we'll really feel like his truth is ordering our world around us, and we know what we're meant to do. We have his power to do it. Right, orientation and control. Like we know what the good is. We know what our soul is for. We feel like we can move towards the good and avoid the evil, and and we know that we're worthwhile. God has justified us. Mm-hmm. Right, those God has justified. Like who can who can accuse and who can condemn? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right, right. and we know we're being shaped into the image of His Son. Like what could be more worthwhile than that mm-hmm. in terms of what we're becoming? Right. And then those can con- connect to secondary things like yeah. who we belong to in our families and who we belong to in the church and who belongs to us and on what basis that is. Right. And so there's like ever deepening concentric circles that work out from that core. And for Christians who like that really happens inside of them, they're just more stable in all these tumultuous things about vices and unity, mm-hmm. division and unity and people for whom the gospel hasn't gotten that deep. Um, these divisive things find their way into that place of the flesh to feed a, a, a kind of felt salvation to the, that, to our living core. Yeah. And it destroys us. And so my, what I tell, what I would try to tell people is that um, you can only really kill the vices of division. If you, if they die in that place where the death of Christ is in our very selves, where we take up our cross and follow him and die. And through that, believe that we'll experience a resurrection. That logic of that's in Luke 9, that's also in Philippians 3, that becoming like him in his death right. and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead, right? Right. The, even, even that phrase, to somehow attain the resurrection of the yeah. dead. Like, you don't really know how yeah, the her. life comes. Right. Like, you follow him into death, That is you, which is in Christian faith, obe- obeying Jesus. Right. You believe in him enough to obey what he says. If you do that, your flesh is going to say, if we do that, we're going to die. 
<laughs> because we're not going to belong. We're going to, we're going to be cast out. We're going to be persecuted. Right, we're not going to be able to do what we want. We're going to lose everything. Things. Exactly. This is not the way we should manage our life. If we want these four salvations in our core. Yeah. And what you have to say is you have to look at the core of your heart where you live and die. And you have to say the only way to live is to die to the flesh. Yeah. And to trust that God can bring life out of this way of death. Right. And we have to believe and we have to walk it out every day. Right. And when you do, you experience, you like, you walk into the death and you experience life and you, you have that experience over and over and over again. Like every day you die and you rise from the dead in Christ. Yeah. And I've seen this in like people who face their, their bad marriages and who try to like reconcile with their problematic parents and people who hate their jobs and have to move forward or people who are struggling in school or people who just feel depressed and don't like where their life is going. And like all these people who have all kinds of different struggles and all these different four core needs and mixtures of these four core needs Mm -hmm. when they face and they walk with Jesus in the dying obediently, they find the life. And and he, Jesus says that I think it's in John seven where he says, if you want to know if my word is true, obey. Yeah. And then you'll know what I say is true. And, and I think that's because you have to experience the, the dying and the rising in following Christ in obedience to get it. But you, if you, if you listen to the flesh saying, you can't do this, we'll die. And you hold back in fear. Yeah. Or you say, I won't do that out of pride. You can't ever experience that salvation. Right. And the gospel can never get deep enough to really take hold and free you. Right. Because the flesh is slavery, right? If the, the, if the flesh has a hold of those core areas, you are enslaved as a person to fear and pride. Mm-hmm. You must be. Yeah, it's only only the dead can be free. Yeah, right. There's like there's this concept like in the scriptures, like you know, slaves are slaves are free when they die. Yeah, and and similarly, you're a slave to sin and death, and when you die in Christ, you're free. So I, I think people struggle with grappling with that and they don't really want to think about living and dying and they certainly don't want to walk the path of death. And that all just sounds like they just want to believe in Jesus as their personal savior right. and get on with their worldly life. Yep. And it just, that's just not the kind of savior Jesus is. Right. Did you know? I, did I already say this? I don't remember if I did yesterday in our podcast about like this um, revelation I had while trying to work out. Did I say that on here? I don't know. Okay. Um, well, I, so I've been trying to, um, be move more basically. And I was doing these workouts and I was like doing these same videos and I was doing them to the level where I'm like, I know I, I'm strong enough to work this hard. And then I was like, okay, but that's not going to do anything. That's not going to actually change. I'm not going to get stronger. I'm not going to get healthier if I just keep doing enough that I know I like, if I just keep doing what I already know I can do. So a few nights ago, I was like, all right, I'm going to like actually try to get stronger. And it was so difficult. And for the last few days, I've been so sore and tired. And then I worked out again tonight and I felt stronger, like I could do more. And I think that I was thinking about that while you were talking that like the when you said we just want to have Jesus as our personal savior and then go on and keep living our worldly lives. Like that's like, yeah, I just want to do the workout to the level that I already know I'm strong enough to do. I'm going to feel good about myself because I can say I did a workout, but like, then I'm good. I'm not actually going to be in pain. I'm not actually going to have to do more work. I'm not actually going to have change either. And I, I mean, I think that that, that's something that our Christian life is, 
we don't want to recognize that it requires that work, but it, Jesus is clear about that. And, and the epistles are clear about that, that it requires sacrifice continually to keep walking with Christ. And, um, but like, there's the promise of life afterwards. And when you were preaching about these things, that that's what I kept thinking of that, like, man, if I turn to anything other than Christ for my sense of belonging or my place of orientation in the world and my, and where I'm going to find pleasure, if I don't turn to him, it won't lead to life. That's really where, what will lead to death are those places. And, and, and it is hard to be willing to let go of those. And it feels painful but that's really what will bring me life. And it, it is hard to actually do those things. But I just, yeah, that really resonated with me. Are there any yeah. other things that you want to cover? I don't think right now. Okay. I think, I think that's the message I want people to be able to take away with it as deeply as possible, that, that you have to put these things to death in yourself to be free. And if you don't do it, none of the good things you try to do relative to you, you're going to get anywhere. Right. Like the, the negative will catch up with it and overwhelm the positive. The, the poison will ruin the whole tea. Yeah. You know, there's the, 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 there's this parable about there being poison in the pot in the time of Elijah where they, you know, people are trying to eat in a famine. They cut all these gourds up and they start eating them and they realize it was poison. And they, and they say, man of God, there's poison in the pot, right? Like we're going to die eating this, but we have to eat something. Mm-hmm. Right, and so then he does something, and he heals. He makes it not poisonous, right? And um, but there are certain things you can't make not poisonous. The, f- the flesh is poisonous. Yeah, and people who live by the flesh is poisonous. So, like, you, we have to be able to, we have to turn to God's word. God's word is so full of instruction about these things. Yeah, it's so full of instruction about the kind of, um, the kind of vices that destroy unity, that are dividing, and the kind of virtues that lead to it. And how important it is and how it can be done and how like everything. It's just the Bible is full of it. It's it's all there. Sure. And that we have to we have to put it to death ourselves and we have to get beyond just acknowledging these vices exist. We have to get to where we can recognize them in ourselves. Yeah. It's absolutely necessary. And so we have to get rid, rid of our evasive euphemisms that we use to protect ourselves from facing the truth about the way we behave. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, like the, ultimately, these things only die in the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. Only when you die in the death of Christ and are raised to his new life, where your your very core is met in the goodness of the gospel, will you be will you triumph sufficiently over your pride and fear to not succumb to the flesh, right? And to live by the spirit in these things. It's the only way. And hence again we get back full circle. Maturity leads to unity. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Right. So um I think if we if we were able to master that it would it would do so much. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for going through more of this. We hope that this is helpful for you. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. See you next time. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. You can find more episodes online at highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on most podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. If you are listening on a podcast app, hit subscribe to get notified of future episodes. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.